Steve Weiss joins the podcast for today's Feature Friday as we discuss his Howard experience, some HBCU pre-draft events, and the fallout from the end of the HBCU football season. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and i of course am darian gray aka the mouth of the south texas southern alum and former tsu herald sports editor thank you for making locked on hbcu your first listen of the day every day and today's episode is brought to us by netsuite netsuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth head to netsuite.com slash locked on ncaa for special end of the year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses and today's feature friday but it's a little different Instead of doing a segment at the end of the show, we're going to do the whole show dedicated to this interview I had lined up. I told you guys about it yesterday with Steve White of the NFL Network, Howard alum. I'm very excited and I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into the interview. Now, today's episode is special because I got a guy in here with me. I've been watching him for a long time on NFL Network. I have Steve White for Feature Friday. So you guys know every Friday we feature something, but today we have Steve in the building. We're going to feature him and talk about not just his HBCU experience, but also HBCUs as a whole now. So I appreciate you coming on with us. Oh, no, thanks so much for having me, man. When you when you reached out to me and asked me to come on, I I was flattered and, you know, thoughtful that you, you know, I, I'm glad that you thought of me, I should say. And anything I can do to help out, man, I'm all about promoting our HBCUs, my man. Same, same here. And I think when I'm trying to promote these HBCUs, a question that comes up a lot, and I want to hear your answer to it is, why should you go to an HBCU? And that answer can be for athletes or for just a regular student. Well, look, you know, I, I fortunately had the, the best of both worlds. You know, I, I grew up outside of St. Louis um, and started out at Missouri University to play football. And um, I wasn't very good. And then the coaches, uh, you know, the coaches, our, the coaches that brought me in got fired. So the new staff came in, very honest, you know, like, you're really not part of our plans. So I was just like, I need to transfer. Um, and I was, there's a couple schools I was looking at, and none of them were HBCUs. And, and it's interesting when, when people, I tell that to people, but I'm like, look, I never once received not even one letter from an HBCU. I was getting a bunch of D1A, and at the time, you know, they call it one double A, you know, offers and letters and visits. Not one was from an HBCU. So there was a girl who went to my high school and I went to a predominantly white high school, 35 miles outside of St. Louis, who had t- attended Howard. And she was like, Steve, she come to Howard. It's the best thing that happened to me. And I was like, you know, my, both my parents went to Hampton. Let me apply to Howard and Hampton and, and see what happened. And the coach at Howard at the time was named Willie Jeffries who had sent me some letters uh, when he was coaching at Wichita State. He was the first black head coach at a 1A program at Wichita State. And I was like, man, you know what? Let me reach out to him. He was he was great. He was like, come on, I, I want you to come play. So I got accepted by Howard. But back then, the transfer rules were different. 
I had to have 60 full credits, which was two full years before I could transfer out. Right. And so I stopped playing football in January of that year. And by the time I got to Howard, I had lost my stinger. I was like, I'm done. I'm not playing football anymore. Um, it was just an academic, you know, just went there academically and it was the best experience, you know, other than marrying my wife it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I'd never been around a bunch of black people because the, the classrooms and the campuses were small. It was far more competitive. You know, when I was at Howard, I had Stan Verrett, you know, the host of sports center, Frederica Whitfield, who does weekends at CNN, Michelle Miller, who does CBS morning news, Gus Johnson, who calls games on Fox. We were all together uh, at Howard. And so, it was just a really incredible experience where I got challenged to become a man, um, to become a better student, to become a leader. And, you know, it really helped me answer the call and prepared me more than adequately when I got into the real world after I graduated. Yeah, for those who don't know, you put up the, the air quotes of real world. Man, Steve White, Gus Johnson, and Stan Verrett all in a classroom. That's that's a star, yeah. that's a star study yeah. classroom, man. That's that's yeah. one of the things that people will write about when you really look at. And I think it's phenomenal. And a couple of other Howard alums that you have on your side when doing the Huddle and Flow podcast is Jim yep. Trotter and, and uh Thomas Howard. Thomas Howard, right? I want to make sure I get the name correct. Thomas Warren. Thomas Warren. I I knew I could tell Thomas him. Thomas Warren, yep. Thomas Warren. Yes, all love Thomas Warren. Th Thomas Warren, don't want to mess up that name. So I just want to know. Together, you guys, you, you guys are the Howard U mob. And I just wanted to know, how did that come together? Was it the Howard connection that led you guys to joining up? Or did you guys already know each other? And how much did that play into creating a podcast together? Well, we already knew each other. And first off, let me start by this. It's unfortunate that the huddle flow no longer exists. Uh, we don't have the podcast anymore. So that stinks because we were able to really move and shake and do some very powerful things and get some very powerful guests on that podcast. Hopefully we can revisit that again at a different time. Um, and no conflicts with the HU mob. We're brothers to the end. So I've known Jim for decades, right? Jim graduated from Howard um, in 86 when I transferred in. So we missed each other by a couple months. And then Thomas is about 15 years younger than Jim and I. So he just, he finished about you know, 10, 12 years ago. So we all knew each other. At the NFL Network, we have a, a, a fairly extensive list. I mean, the few black people who do work on the network behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, a lot of us are Howard grads. Um, so it just so happens that Thomas is a producer on the news desk. Very good. Jim and I wanted to do this podcast because you know, we're, we're experienced NFL reporters. We have opinions that are strong. We have opinions that, and voices and information that aren't reflected or, you know, talked about or discussed in most mainstream medias. So we wanted to do this podcast. Of course, everyone got on board in the summer of George Floyd, Damata Arbery and Breonna Taylor. Everybody wanted to kind of step on and, and show that they were all down for the cause, right? So, you know, the NFL and everybody kind of pushed what we were doing and we took it and ran with it. We're like, hey, whatever it takes to get us on, we're going to take it and run with it. So, we put it together. We had something special. Again, like it, it stinks that we're, we're no longer doing that. We're all still colleagues. In fact, Jim and I, you know, we'll have just done the, the, the Hall of Fame finalist shows. We do those, do those together. Jim's a Hall of Fame selector. I do a lot of things with the Hall in terms of in front of the camera. Um, but, no, we're all still very, very tight, and we, we do a lot of things uh, behind the scenes together at the network. 
that's great to hear. I was wondering, I'm like, man, we haven't seen an episode since Warren Moon. What's been going on? But it's yeah. glad to hear yeah. that you guys are, are, you know, still tight and whatnot. But what is it about Howard? Because Howard isn't one of those HBCUs. It's one of those schools whose name just rings bells across the nation. Well, look, I mean, Howard was, it wasn't the first, but it was one of the first. It's in the nation's capital. And it's a legacy of just great alumni. You know, when you think of Andrew Young, you know, you know, Doug, you know, Andrew Young was the first black secretary of state in the country. And, you know, Doug Wilder, the first black governor of Virginia, Thurgood Marshall, the, the first black Supreme Court justice, our vice president, Kamala Harris, all of the medical alumni, all of the people, in, you know, in Hollywood, Felicia Rashad and, and Debbie Allen and Wendy Raquel um, Parker, I believe. I, I, I'm blank. I think I went to school with Wendy, too. I don't know why I'm blank right now. Um, but there's so many people, the distinguished alumni, who've made so many inroads and in so many different parts um, of the world that are recognized by white America. You know, and it's and it's a, and it's a shame. Look, I'm proud. We're the Mecca, right? We say this is the tent. This is the pole that everyone is trying to get to, and we're arrogant and everything else. But you know, you think of all the other great schools that are produced. You know, you said you went to Texas Southern. Look at all the fantastic alumni that went to Texas Southern, even athletically. Michael Strahan, Winston Hill. You know, some Pro Football Hall of Famers, and so many other other great people who've, who've come from so many other institutions: Grambling, Cheney, Hampton. Um, but Howard is the one that's most recognized. Again, I think just because we have so many visible alumni out there and so many distinguished people who go to teach at Howard, um, you know, I think that that factors into things as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I met one person from Howard randomly on the street and, and she said, you know, I went to I went to the HBCU. I went to the no, she didn't even say the SC, I went to the illustrious. And I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, yep, no, no, no. That, we, that's how we, we will. We will let you know. We will let you know. <laughs> And that was just part one of my conversation with Steve. We got to end on a funny note talking about just the prideful nature of Howard alums. It was a great conversation and we're going to continue rolling. And you're going to hear about an astute observation that he had about the budgetary concerns in HBCU athletics. And that was the word of the day, astute. But first, I want to tell you guys about NetSuite. This is it. The putt to win a tournament. You sink it and the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system to power your growth with visibility of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and everything all in one place. So I don't have to go five different places to get the job done anymore. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And for the new year, NetSuite has a new financing program for those who are ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com locked. Head to NetSuite.com locked for this special one-of-a-kind financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That is NetSuite.com locked. All right, families, we keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked On HBCU. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And make sure you're checking out the Ultimate College Football Playoff Preview 2021. Local experts, betting advice, and draft analysis. The most comprehensive college football playoff preview is live now. You only got a couple of hours before the game starts. Make sure you got tapping into that. 
And now we continue with our interview with Steve Weich, in which I ask him about the lack of inclusion leading to forced exclusivity for a lot of HBCUs. And he really helped me look at these in a positive light and one I might not have had before he answered these questions. And I hope you have the same. So now I kind of want to move into the idea of forced or lack of inclusion leading to kind of forced exclusivity for HBCUs. And I want to talk about the HBCU combine versus players being invited to the NFL combine, something that Deion Sanders, who we'll speak about later in the episode, has kind of spoke about and wanted to get more HBCU players just in the combine rather than having their own. What would be your take on that? You know, first off, I love Deion and, and, and everything. You know, he's a former coworker, he's a friend, and everything he's done to enhance the visibility. But he's not the first one to say this. You know, there's there's been a lot of from the Buddy Pews, you know, to to a lot of great illustrious coaches who talk about this. And you know, you talk about the HBCU Combine. And, you know, I've been part of the planning with this or been informed of the people who are planning on the HBCU Combine, the Legacy Bowl, and a lot of things you're seeing now. These these are offshoots of the past two years, only one player from an HBCU getting drafted. And there is a feeling that we need to expose some of these HBCU players more to some of these NFL scouts. You know, there's this old saying that if you can play football, they'll find you. Well, that's not always the case. And there's a lot of HBCU players who, when it comes to the combine, they don't get invited. Last year, there was only one player from an HBCU invited. He did not get drafted. The previous year, one HBCU player invited. He didn't get drafted, although there was an offensive lineman from Tennessee State who did get drafted in the sixth or seventh round by the Bears. So the, the lack of, uh, of people getting invited to the combine, that's one thing from HBCUs. Then let's go to pro days, right? When, you know, when you, you don't see pro days at – Savannah State, right, or South Carolina State. Those athletes tend to have to go to Clemson or Georgia, you know, or places like that to, to, to do a pro day. So if you're somebody from South Carolina State and you go to a pro day where they're looking at Trevor Lawrence and all these great players from Clemson, right, and, and so you're just kind of a throwaway, right? You're, you're running your 40 you know, well after all of these other high-profile guys who are doing their – now, the teams that do their due diligence, you know, the Patriots of the world and the Rams of the world and teams like – they'll stay and watch and they'll get all that information. But some of these other teams, those scouts, they're moving on. They've seen who they came to see, and they're on that plane to the next stop, University of Florida or something like that. So that's how come the NFL, uh, the Black College Football Hall of Fame, the Reese's Senior Bowl, and different organizations like this have said – We've got to give the NFL no excuses now to bypass some of these great athletes at HBCUs. So let's come up with an HBCU combine. Yes, it's separate than the regular combine, but this will give these teams the medicals, and it will give these teams the measurables and the 40s and things like that just so they have them in a database, right? We're giving them no excuses to say they didn't know where this guy was. you know. And then you know, the Legacy Bowl is going to be very much like the Senior Bowl. And that's where you're taking roughly 100 draft-eligible players, having a full week of practices in front of all the scouts, NFL, CFL, XFL, whatever, to come see these guys practice, to see how, how coachable they are, and then to actually see them in an all-star game. So, again, this is all to say there are no excuses. You have no excuses not to know who these people are. But on top of that, Darian, the Legacy Bowl, which is going to be the week after Super Bowl in New Orleans, 
HBCU coaches, trainers, staffers, other officials, they will be able to, to interact with NFL and CFL and XFL executives and scouts. So there's another pipeline that before this wasn't there. This is all an effort to tell the NFL and all these auxiliary leagues, you have no excuses not to recognize the talent all over the place at HBCUs. So would you say that even though some people might want to just have no exclusive, right, just have everybody together, this actually is a bit of a benefit because you are able to have all the lights on you and no ability to get swallowed up by maybe a Trevor Lawrence, so to speak, or anything like that. Well, that's a way to look at it because I know a couple of years ago at the collegiate bowl or one of these bowls, there were some HBCU players, but the coaches didn't put them in the game. Right. So what good is that? So these are all opportunities again, for these people, these players, these prospects, whomever to get recognized, to be seen. Now, some people are going to say, okay, in a legacy bowl, they're not going up against some of this D one, a talent that's going to be at the senior bowl. Yeah, well, so what? You know, Carson Wentz played at San Diego State, right? He was number two overall pick. So, you know, you can't sit there and play it both ways. So that's why, again, anything you can do to shine a light on these people. And maybe over the next couple of years, as all of these things tend to graduate, there will be more of a meshing. And the teams that are serious about sending their scouts to recognize these HBCU players will go to campuses more often instead of just kind of driving through there, getting some film and being gone. So that's, you know, and that's part of it. But more importantly, you know, we've got to get some of these high school prospects, some of these three three stars and four stars and five stars to attend HBCUs because the exposure will be there. I mean, people can say whatever they want about Dion, ESPN3 and everything. They're broadcasting their games on TV now. Now they're not getting exposure, again, of Alabama and Georgia and USC and all these teams. But you're starting to get some exposure. And it's kind of if you build it, they will come. And, and so that's that's more and more of what we're optimistically hoping to see, you know, but part of part of the explosion of all of this is HBCUs. They've got to invest. And that's a hard thing to do, man. These, a lot of these black colleges do not invest in their athletic programs. You know, Jackson State just did. Grambling is getting Hugh Jackson there. But a lot of these other schools like Howard do not invest in their athletic programs. And and that's a constant battle for a lot of these coaches who don't get paid and who don't have the recruiting budgets and things like that, you know, to, to, to deal with when they're trying to go up against Maryland or even a school like William and Mary to get athletes to their school. Definitely. And I think that's something we might even touch on even further after this next question right here, I want to wrap up the idea of just lack of inclusion and something that I've talked about early on my podcast, I think about a couple of weeks ago was the idea that the celebration bowl as great as it is and as phenomenal as it represents shining a light on HBCUs, the timing of it doesn't allow the best teams in the SWAC or MEAC to actually be a part of the FCS playoffs. Do you have any solution to that if you even think it's a problem? This has been going on for years because there have been other there have been other bowls before the Celebration Bowl and other showcases where you would pit SWAC and MEAC champions. Um, I forget what it was. It was years ago. In Miami, they tried it. And teams would say, hey, look, we would rather – participate in the FBS or the FCS, which one is it? One double A FCS. FCS. Yeah. Right. We'd rather participate in the playoffs than in this game. But then a lot of times something like the celebration bowl will pay these schools more money. Cause what you find with these black colleges, even if they're like a top 10 team, you know, in the FCS rankings, 
they'll have to go to North Dakota State, right? Those schools aren't coming to Jackson State. They're not coming to South Carolina State. They're not coming to A&T. These black schools are always, almost often, always forced to go play at the predominantly white institution. And, you know, if they're playing in the snow or playing in different elements or just having the whole travel, that really, you know, crushes their budget getting there as opposed to playing in a celebration bowl where there is money actually being paid to them to participate. So that's just something that the schools tend to weigh. And if they feel that, hey, we want to go to the playoffs to show that we're the best team in the country and we'll fight our way through that and earn money along the way and showcase our program, fantastic. Other schools will say, Celebration Bowl, we're getting showcased on ABC. We're the only game on it. We're the, that's it. Right? We're not caught up with four other games in a, in a playoff scenario. We're only getting highlights. We're the only thing on. So that's just a battle those programs and those athletic departments and universities weigh when those when they have, those decisions have to be made. Man, that's another segment ending with a really great quote. One talking about the Howard pride and this one talking about the difficult decision that HBCUs face when talking about do we want to go get that exposure in the FCS playoffs or do we want to have this celebration bowl, which is going to make more sense for our business? And just that idea of exposure versus monetary benefit. It was a great way to end the segment. And this segment that's going to come up is not going to disappoint either as we just kind of look over the HBCU landscape and how it looks after the football season is finished. And I told you guys my New Year's resolution, my goal for this is to get this show more fan interaction. So let me know what your favorite built bar is at South Exclusives on Twitter. Let me know what you guys love so I can try it if I haven't already. But this is the thing about built bar. A lot of people don't want to eat healthy because they want to eat good. I'll just tell them get built bar and do the best of both worlds. Isn't that isn't that an easy trick? So you can go to those secret treat stashes that you think are a secret, but we all know about. Replace them all with built bars and let what's been done in the dark come to the light and be proud to have your snacks. Because Built Bar is something that there's no need to be shamed about eating. 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. If you had a blindfold on, you would think you were eating a candy bar. But luckily you know that you're eating healthy and you have everything that you need in a Built Bar. No more getting to week 5, 6, 7, 8 and saying, dang, I wish I could switch it up. I wish I could eat good. I'm being miserable right now. Not when you have Built Bars in your diet. It's no more of that. And if you're not a fan of working out... That's fine. Just eat the Built Bar and you're great. Go to Built.com and use Locked15 for 15% off your offer. Alright family, as we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked On HBCU, we're going to look at the last segment that we had with Steve Weiss today and we're talking about the current HBCU landscape. That's the Celebration Bowl victory for South Carolina State, Deion Sanders and his impact on Jackson State and the Travis Hunter decision on HBCUs in general. Check this out. So when looking at the Celebration Bowl, it was a whole lot of buzz because Deion Sanders, Jackson State, it built a lot of buzz. It was sold out, heavily watched on television. And then South Carolina State came in with a huge upset and what do you think winning and winning in that fashion will do for that program? We'll see, because, you know, as I point out, as Darius Leonard, a South Carolina State alum who's doing his thing for the Colts, points out, South Carolina State has four Pro Football Hall of Famers. You know how many combined that Clemson and University of South Carolina has? One. 
One? No, I one. thought it was four. Brian wow. Dawkins. Brian Dawkins is wow. it. Wow. South Carolina State has four pro football Hall of Famers. Clemson and South Carolina State, one. Right? So that program has routinely produced NFL players. You know, from the days of the Harry Carsons and, you know, as a pro football Hall of Famer and, and some of these other great players to Darius Leonard. So winning a game like that, you would think it would amp up the profile, but South Carolina State's a school that's had some budgetary problems, right? Their facilities aren't great. Their, you know, their university a couple of years ago, they were talking about really folding that into the University of South Carolina system. So, you know, it, it just really all depends, but I think athletic exposure does tend to generate like how many people were thinking about going to Jackson State, you know, who are who are growing up in Detroit, Michigan or in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now they might want to go there. Hey, I saw everything that they go and I saw the marching bands. I saw the, the 60,000 people at their stadium for their home games. I might let me let me put that on my list to go take a visit, you know, even as a regular student. So those types of things do help. You know, it just again, it's just a constant battle that HBCUs and a lot of smaller schools have to deal with um, other than the legacy, you know, where parents went there and grandparents went there, or that's the school that's in their hometown, just the budgetary battles and things like that in terms of attracting students and student athletes. A hundred percent. I think that is something that really shakes up a lot of things. And I guess we can ask this question now, is that the biggest problem that HBCU athletics are facing is the budgetary issues? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I would think so. I mean, look, some schools have a hard time raising money to pay quality coaches, head coaches, quality assistants, recruiting budgets. I mean, I remember years ago when I worked in Miami, Larry Little, the Pro Football Hall of Famer who attended Bethune-Cookman, had gone back to coach at Bethune-Cookman. Now, this was in the mid to late 90s. He wasn't making $40,000 a year. He was recruiting by just driving up and down in his own car, uh, you know, he'd go to Miami and stay at his mom's house. You know, he was recruiting, just kind of doing that because they didn't have the recruiting types of budgets. Like I said, when I first started this in St. Louis, when I was getting recruited by all these schools, I didn't get one letter, not one letter from a Grambling or a Southern or a Tennessee State, you know, or Cheney or Howard or Hampton, not one, because they would not probably have known about me unless somebody from my area sent some film there. You know, and that's a tough thing that a lot of these HBCUs have to face. And then you also have this. And I've talked to Doug Williams and James Shaq Harris, you know, the two of the greatest grambling legends ever who I work with in the Black Ops Football Hall of Fame. Talk to coaches at Howard about this. When there is money that tends to be raised uh, from private donors, from alumni, whatever, right, that money tends to go to, you know, a lot of the universities are like, well, this has to go to the whole athletic department pot. You can't just earmark it for one singular sport. And that's tough because as we know, school, you know, the, the revenue generating sports, football and basketball, those pay for volleyball and lacrosse and soccer and things like that in both men's and women's sports. So there's the, the, the kind of the chicken or the egg battle. Okay, if you funnel, if you earmark this money, the majority of football and basketball, that can generate wins. That can generate attention, which gets people to the state, you get donors and everyone contributing more, which you could then, could then allocate towards your athletic department? Or do you say, we're going completely socialist, everyone else, everyone gets their equal slice of the pie. But then again, how is that going to allow Morgan State to pay graduate assistance enough to live in the city of Baltimore? 
Right. So it's it's again, it's a tough decision a lot of these universities have to make. And they have to say, are we want to be known as an academic institution or an athletic institution? Again, I'm using Howard as an example because that's what I know about. That's my alma mater, which I love dearly. And we view ourselves as an academic institution, an institution of higher, higher learning. We're not going to neglect athletics. But if we have an opportunity to spread the wealth so more women can play basketball and soccer on full scholarships, um, we're going to allocate the money that way instead of, again, earmarking most of it for one particular athletic program. Definitely. And the last question is Travis Hunter shocked the world being the number one recruit in the nation and going to Jackson State. What do you think the ramifications of that move will be in the near future? We'll see. We'll see. You know, it's I remember a couple of years ago, McCore Maker, one of the top basketball players in the country, went to Howard and then COVID hit. So he didn't really get to play. And and that and I think he's transferred out. Um We'll see. You know, look at the buzz it generated. Like, oh, my gosh, this kid's burned USC for Jackson State. Why would he go to a black school? Why would he go to a small school? He's not going to get the exposure. Whatever. Now maybe he – because the good – the really good players in any program, they bring their classmates, right? If, you, if you're if you a you know kid who grew up school in Atlanta and you're going to the University of Georgia, you might have some stud kid who was on your team or an opposing team like, yo, man, I'm the quarterback, you're the wide receiver, let's go there as a tandem, right? So maybe that can start happening. And if, and if Travis goes down there and does his thing like we all expect him to do, then he can continue to spread the word, right? That's, that's where a lot of that happens. But I do think what this has done, hopefully, he's got the attention of some parents like you know myself or other parents who maybe hadn't considered their kids going to HBCUs. Like, I would love for my kid to go to HBCU, but he's got this offer here from Alabama, and they're going to get him to the pros and blah, 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 to say, you know what? He can get to the pros by going to that school. His social experience could be far more rich. His academic experience could be far more rich. And his sense of belonging and who he or she possibly is could be far more rich instead of feeling isolationist. Because that's the one thing when I was at the University of Missouri playing football, we, you know, we were the, the black students were such a small number that it was like, okay, you were known as a football player or an athlete because the majority of the black students on campus were somehow involved in athletics. So you didn't get the full experience. We weren't going to the to the functions at the sorority and fraternity houses and things like that because we weren't welcome. Well, you go to a black school, you're there. And for all the people listening, you know, HBCUs aren't just for black people. When I was at Howard, there were white students there. There were Indian students there. There were Latino and Latina students there. Um, so it was a really enriching experience for everybody. Same with teachers. So, you know, I am just hoping that some of the parents my age who never thought, you know, probably have family members who went to an HBCU, but who never thought if they've got a dynamic athletic talent about going there, that this decision at least gets them to think, hey, yeah, this might be a better all-around experience for my son or daughter to go to an HBCU. Well, that's it. Thank you, Steve Weiss. If you know, if you guys don't know Steve, you need to familiarize yourself with him. Check out NFL Network. Been putting out great content for years upon years upon years, man. I really respect you and I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a great experience. Darren, much respect and love. Keep doing your thing. Thank you. And I hope that you guys enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it because it was an absolute blast for me. And even listening back to it, I think I listened back to it two or three times, and it was great every time. I did wonder, 
because I stressed a couple of times saying years upon years upon years. I wonder if Steve was like, dang, this dude tried to call me old. No, he's just a veteran. And I think you got to pay respect to the longevity that he has had in the game because it is somebody I have admired and seen on my television since I was a kid. And it's great to see those kind of things, especially from an HBCU alum. And y'all know I appreciate y'all to the utmost for making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day. And those who are listening a day late on Saturday, your first listen of the year. Somebody's making me their first listen of the year right now. And I appreciate that. So for your second listen of the day, make sure you're checking out Locked On Bets because it's literally free on all platforms and meant to make you money. I'm not hyping this up anymore. Check out your boy Q and Lee Sterling if you want to put a couple more dollars into your pocket. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care, stay blessed, happy new years, peace.